Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. And this is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. Happy Monday, Beth. Happy Monday, and we're back. Yes. We a little break last week for the 4th of July. Yeah, hope everyone had a great holiday week. Mm-hmm. I mean, it when it's in the middle of the week like that, you got to make it a holiday week. It's true. It's a Tuesday, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I did. Okay. Can confirm. Okay. Good. <laughs> I, I is yet is yet to be determined since we're recording this before, but um, Ember keeps saying, "Do I have to work on Monday and then just not on Tuesday?" And I was like, "I think you can make that determination yourself." <laughs> so my but, husband's office is closed Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's official or not, but I was like, "How many people are going to be working anyway?" Like, because if it's a Tuesday, people are probably going to take a long weekend. So yeah, like, you could probably work from home and be safe. Yeah. So anyway, and we also hope that if you do not like fireworks, that you were able to like not have to deal with that. Because for people who get triggered by fireworks, it's the worst. Or like your puppies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, happy Monday. Happy Monday. Welcome in. We have a new Patreon that I want to thank over there, Caitlin D. Oh, hey, Caitlin. Welcome, Caitlin. Yes, so glad to have you over in our little private club. We (laughs) It is. (laughs) It's like the corner of our closet Mm -hmm. where we keep the good shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. There's some good shoes over here, too. That's absolutely true. Yes. It, you know, it's really funny whenever we record things for Patreon, we so often say, oh, I wish this was going on the regular feed because we know that you guys would love it. Yeah. And it and they are a little bit odd. Like, yes. not odd, but like they're just not run-of-the-mill murders. They're very – there's always like something else that is well, like – Well, yeah, and our July one's not a murder at all. Oh, it isn't? No. I don't know it yet. We're doing that later today. So it's just a very interesting case that's out there. Yeah. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, What do you have? What's happening? That's all my business. Well, if you recall on the last episode that we had, I um, mentioned that I was driving over to Oklahoma and that there might be a fun stop on the way. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. You know this because I've already sent you pictures, so I didn't post anything yet. I will be now. Um, I stopped. Hold on. Hold on. Before you say that, let's tell – so Christy and I have this, like, thing where we find funny town names. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it on our Patreon. Didn't we talk about it on Patreon, Mm -hmm. like, funny towns? Maybe not. Maybe we just planned Mm -hmm. to. But, like, we did. We found this whole list of, like, ridiculous town names. Mm-hmm. And I found this one and sent it to Christy and was like, is this real? Well, you sent me the TikTok of the yes. guy that was like driving on I-44 and like in saying Missouri. all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And you were like, uh, <laughs> is this real? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now go on. Okay. And it's called Uranus, Missouri. <laughs> and the signs literally. Okay. So I hadn't heard of it before you sent me that TikTok. Right. I did look it up. I did confirm that it was a real place. It is not an actual city. Yeah. But it's a real place. Um, And the guy in the TikTok had said, like, have you ever driven I-44 from St. Louis to whatever? Like, I can't remember what town he said it was. Maybe Springfield. Have you ever seen the signs that say, like, 
come to Uranus. The best fudge comes from Uranus. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, oh, no, I'm going to go there. And then he's like, yes, I am. (laughs) It's actually really funny. I watched it again the other day just to show Emery, like, what introduced me to this (laughs) town? What introduced you to Uranus? Yes, to Uranus, yeah. Yours. (laughs) We have been joking even since she's gone. It's weeks later. And we still will send jokes like, like, I forget what it was, but something came up and you were like, well, I knew that. And I was like, well, you're cultured, you know, from Uranus. (laughs) You've been places. You've been to Uranus. (laughs) My favorite picture that you sent me, though, was the one of the dentist and was like, here's the Uranus dental office, best cavity searches in town. Well, it's dentist and proctology. Did you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I did. I remember that now that you said it. But like, oh, my gosh, I was teehee and laughing, showing Wes. He's like, you guys are crazy. Yeah. It was. So it's jokes for days. Okay. It is. It 100% is. It's jokes for days in the store. It's. It, okay, so it's basically like if anybody has ever driven down 95 and you like see all the Pedro south of the border signs. South of the border, yeah. It's basically like a teeny tiny, literally teeny tiny, not as uh, like obvious off the highway as that, but mm-hmm. teeny tiny version of that. Like there's a, the world's largest belt buckle and like a circus freak oh. um, store. Like it's, yeah, we did not go into any of that. The only store I went into is the general store in Uranus where the best fudge comes from. <laughs> So, and I had to get fudge. I don't even eat fudge. I don't like fudge, but I bought a whole pound of fudge of different flavors from Uranus. And it was, it was actually very good. (laughs) Um, Didn't it say it was like nutty? Like nutty fudge. It's the nuttiest fudge you'll ever or something. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember that part. I can't remember that part. But anyways, you walk in and they're like, welcome to Uranus. Stop. Everyone. It's like, welcome to Moe's. No, welcome to Uranus. <laughs> yes, it was great. And then, and then like when you go to check out, they're like, um, do you want to tap it or stick it in? Stop it right now. <laughs> oh my God. Listen, when I retire, I am retiring in Uranus. <laughs> Oh, it was, it was so fun. And like, I brought my kids in this place and we're, yeah. you know, it's all candy. We're buying candy and like novelty stuff. And like, oh, my favorite shirt, which I almost bought, which had nothing to do with Uranus, but it was a Sasquatch and it said hide and seek champion. <laughs> I think we have a sticker that says that actually. <laughs> so funny. Um, but there was a TV in one of the, um, in Uranus. Yeah, in the general store. And it was just a small one. And it was just like running this commercial, this old commercial, which is clearly fake, over and over again. Um, old meaning like it was like a family from like the 50s or 60s getting in their old car and going on a road trip. And all of a sudden the kid's like, dad, I got to go to the bathroom. And he's like, okay, all right, you know, we'll figure it out. Oh, oh, well. I'm coming up on Uranus. We'll stop there. And the kid's like, I can't wait to pee in Uranus, Dad. <laughs> God, that's what I'm saying. I am 
that level of mature. Okay. That's me. It's me. Hi. <laughs> I'm the problem. My, my little guy kept saying that like whole commercial <laughs> over and over again. He's repeating it. Right. And we get to, and we're, mind you, we're traveling to Oklahoma for a work trip for my husband. And so we're going to enter a meeting. And so like, he's saying stuff and I literally look at him and I was like, you need to forget we went to Uranus. <laughs> like <laughs> you need to stop. I don't need you teaching all of these other kids. Well, you know what? Uranus is unforgettable. It is. It is. It was really, (laughs) it was fun times. Fun times. So I'll post the pictures that I took there. I got a mug Mm -hmm. from there. that picture Um, this morning. Yep. Yep. I had to buy a mug from Uranus. So Um, (laughs) anyway, so it was, it was great. It was fantastic. I was so, so excited when I realized that that's the route we were taking and I was going to pass right by and I was like, we are stopping. There's no, no chance we're not get off. So I legitimately (laughs) didn't know that this is what the surprise. And then all of a sudden, like midday, I start getting all these photos of Uranus and I was like, she did it. She went to Uranus. Yes. (laughs) And it's been funny ever since. So maybe you guys don't care about that crap. Maybe you're more mature than we are. It's just skip on by all this stuff. Yeah. Like we've had a real ball with Uranus. Yeah, it's been fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, Uranus, for all of the good times. Thank you, Uranus. <laughs> anyway, that's all I have, except I do have a murder for you. Okay, let's switch gears here. Okay, got it. Okay, okay. serious faces. Yep. Here we go. So this week's case was suggested by Maggie over on Facebook. So thanks. Thank you, Maggie. Yes. It's um, a pretty high profile case, or it was at the time that it happened and somewhat throughout the years of investigation. And I did hear about it, but I knew very minimal information about it. So it was kind of interesting to kind of like look into the 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 details of it. Uh uh And the reason it was high profile was because it occurred in an affluent area of Greenwich, Connecticut. Oh, yes. And it involved. I've never even heard of Greenwich, Connecticut. Are you serious? I've heard of Greenwich village (laughs) in the city of New York, but. Ah, I mean, I wonder if it's because I lived up in that like part of the world. (laughs) That right. I knew what it was and like drove through it and knew people from there. And Oh, okay. You're also a little my... more cultured than me. So it's not well, surprising. <laughs> well, anyway. Um, it also involves a 15-year-old girl and the Kennedy family. So. Oh, my gosh. I love yeah. the Kennedys. I know. Oh, I, I love Jackie. Okay. Right. Yeah. Who's, Who's not even really Jackie a Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. She's not even really a Kennedy, but she's Kennedy adjacent and I love her. Yes, she is. She is. Well, and this is kind of Kennedy adjacent, although the Kennedys do get involved at some point. So interesting. It is interesting. And another name, Kobe Bryant. Also Kobe? has Kobe? Not him, but a cousin of his has a connection oh to this. All right. So the names in here are like flying. So anyway. This is Martha Moxley's story. Okay. Martha was born to Dorothy and David Moxley on August 30th, 1960 in Piedmont, California, which is just outside Oakland, for those of you who know where that is. Okay. (laughs) Fun fact, I'll be flying into Oakland in two days. Really? Mm -hmm. 
totally coincidental that this case happened to be like on my radar at two this days time. from when this drops. Yes. Okay. Because mm-hmm. we just went over calendars and you confused me. <laughs> I know, but I was being okay. good about knowing when things were good dropping job. and what no. I was going to be. Okay. Good job. You threw me. That's good. <laughs> anyway, Martha had an older brother named John. And in the summer of 1974, the family moved across the country to Greenwich, Connecticut. It's quite okay. a move. Yes. This, like I mentioned earlier, was a very affluent area and known to be a safe place to raise a family. Martha was a sophomore in high school, and while moving at that time in your life could be pretty difficult, Martha had no trouble whatsoever adjusting. Okay. She made friends easily. She was a straight-A student, and she played basketball. Martha's mom said that when Martha walked into the room, it was like the sun was rising. Wow. I know. That is really sweet. It's like the best way of saying you lit up a room to me. I feel like that's- It is. Really. The sun was rising. I'm going to start saying that to people. I know. I want to too. I like Dorothy. She's cool. Okay. She's old now, but she's done a lot of interviews and she's like always seems like the nicest person. Anyway. Okay. On October 30th, 1975, Martha had asked her mom if she could go out with some friends. She was grounded, though, because she had missed curfew the weekend before. But her mom was like, all right, Martha. Yeah. She's a good kid. Yes. And it's also the night before Halloween, which in Greenwich is known as Mischief Night. I don't know if it's known as that elsewhere, Uh but specifically there it's known. I've Uh not heard that for some reason. Oh, really? We used to do Mischief Night. What'd you do? Mischief. <laughs> we were mischievous on mischief we, night. We would like burn a barrel. That's what we used to do. Like we okay. had these big metal barrels that we would all gather around and it would be like a burn a barrel party. It was just a fire in Ooh. a barrel, like a bonfire, but in a barrel. So, cause you know, okay. West Virginia. <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, somewhat similar. That was the night that teens would go out and just play pranks. Like, Putting shaving cream in people's mailboxes or toilet oh, okay. in our it. house or just knocking and running or whatever, you know, silly stuff that probably I'd probably yell at my kids right now for doing, but they could be doing worse things if that's what they're doing. Right, right. <laughs> so anyway, nothing too crazy, <clears throat> but there was a bigger police presence known at, during those times, just in case, because you never know. Some kids could get a little rowdier than others. Or some so, people could get really ticked off if they're TP in their house and come out mm-hmm. and like, you know, you never know. Well, this is true. Yeah. Don't don't trespass. Right. No, that's true. When Martha did not come home, like by the time, I don't remember what time it was. It was like 9 or 9.30, but whatever time it was, Dorothy got nervous. She's like, well, let me call her friends. Not overly nervous because it's not like she hasn't done this before. She's missed mm-hmm. curfew before. <clears throat> but she started calling the friends that she was supposed to be with. And the one friend informed Dorothy that they had met up with Tommy and Michael Skakel. And that is who Martha was with. Mm-hmm. These are the 17 and 15 year old boys that lived across the street. Okay. So Dorothy got off the phone and just was like, all right, fine. I'll just wait up. She's across the street. I'll just sit in this chair in the study by the window, waiting for her to come home. That's probably okay. what I would do. Be staring out the window like, yeah, I see you coming yeah. across the With lawn, your wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
<clears throat> so anyway, Dorothy ends up falling asleep in this chair. And when she woke up, she realized that Martha had never come home. So then she called the friends again. And she also walked across the street to the Skakel house and asked, well, Michael answered. And so he asked, she asked Mark, Michael, you know, if Dorothy was there, where, when, not Dorothy, Martha, if, when did she leave? And he indicated that he had not seen her. It oh. was stated, well, I mean, not that he didn't seen her at all, but that he hadn't seen her that morning or that day. It was the night before okay. he had seen her last. It was stated that Martha and friends had arrived at their home around 945. They sat in a car and listened to music, which uh-huh. I don't know that I've ever done that. I mean, what? I mean, besides like with my boyfriend after like coming home from doing something and we're just hanging out. Right. <laughs> so I don't go inside right away. But anyway. Okay, so they sat in the car listening to music. Around 9.30, Michael decided that he wanted to go over to his cousin's house with, his cousin's house with some other of the friends that were there and watch the Monty Python movie. Oh, my totally. gosh. That is a vibe. <laughs> yeah, totally dating this one, which we already mm-hmm. know it's 75. He asked Martha if she wanted to come, but she was like, no, I have to go home. My mom is expecting me home. Martha, according to some other people, was last seen making out with Tommy around 9.30. That would explain why they're sitting in the car, listening to music, like you said. It would, but I'm still skeptical of that. But somebody said they saw her doing this. So it was then stated that she went home, like not long after that 930, except she never made it home. Hmm. Around noon on October 31st, under a pine tree in the Moxley yard, one of Martha's friends discovered her body. I'm sorry, in her yard mm-hmm. in the yard i mean they had a very big yard because now their house doesn't exist and there's two houses on their property okay that, or the property that used to be there so it's it seems like it's a pretty large property mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me i'm sorry she was almost home she, she was mm-hmm. oh man she had been bludgeoned and stabbed to death with a golf club oh my just- god I'm sorry, stabbed? Yeah, a golf well, club? I'll have to explain Broke how that up. happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, 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 no. Her pants and her underwear were pulled down to her ankles, but there was no evidence of sexual assault. When police started to investigate, um, you know, once they got there, they they found blood in the driveway, kind of in the beginning of the driveway, which is believed where maybe she was first attacked. So she had gotten to her driveway. Somebody then hit her confronted her there, hit her. And then um, it seemed that maybe she had run from them. And so mm-hmm. she kind of got to the other side of the driveway and they caught up with her, hit her several more, more times. She was beaten so badly that the golf club broke into four pieces. Wow. So three of the pieces were recovered. One was never recovered. Um. After it was broken, one end of the shaft was sharp and the killer used it to stab her and the shaft would have gone basically straight through from one side of her neck to the other. And I think, I don't know for sure, like I said, three out of the four pieces were found. The only piece that was not recovered was the handle. So they're thinking that's like the one that went through and they took it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we don't don't know because it was never found. That is really bad. It was. It's brutal. It was, yeah. It was also evident that Martha had been dragged 50 to 60 feet to be left underneath that pine tree. Because there was a hide her? Yes. That's what they believe. Because there was a pool of blood at this 
spot that they had then found mm -hmm. further on on the driveway. And then there was drag marks to this pine tree. Wow. Oh my gosh. This poor family. Yeah. And they, and the three pieces were kind of found, like one was found not far from her body. One was found not like over by the driveway. And I don't remember where the third piece of the um, golf club was found, but they were kind of scattered a little bit. <clears throat> the golf club was a six iron and it had been monogrammed with Anne Skakel's name, the mother of Tommy and Michael, and the rest of the matching set would be found in the Skakel home eventually. Oh my gosh, her neighbors. Yes, that's clearly where your head would go initially for sure. So, but there, this kind of like is pretty twisty, although. Well, yeah, because we still have to talk about the Kennedys. Exactly. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we still haven't gotten to the Kennedys. Okay. It's been stated that Martha had lines on her cheek that matched the pattern of the golf, the golf club head. So like, it's like, maybe that was the first blow and that's mm -hmm. where they hit her. <clears throat> um, and in the way that she was brutally attacked, it seemed like it was quick and they were just like, oh gosh, now I need to hide her body. And it was like a frenzy kind of killing is what it was described as. So... And they had, they said it believed, they were, I'm sorry, it was believed to have happened between 9.30 and 10 since they said somebody saw her at 9.30 and then other, for other reasons that we'll get into later, they had that 9.30 to 10 o'clock frame, which okay. would not leave very much time. I mean, it no. seems like 30 it's minutes. very opportunistic. A, yeah. Clearly the brothers are questioned. I mean, they find the golf club that killed her is from their mother's set. Tommy don't said, "Monogram your golf clubs, by the way." I'm not. I just got some. Chris is a golfer. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but like, don't do that. Not doing it. Not doing it. Just in case. Also, don't murder anyone with them. Well, I'll try not to. Okay. I mean, that'd be great. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, but... got to keep the show going. Okay. Yes. You can't be in prison. That's the only reason out. I shouldn't. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Tommy said that Martha left around 9.30 and he went inside, did some homework, and then he watched TV with their live-in tutor. He was given, I know, I knew you were going to side-eye me with that because that's what I, when I heard that word, I'm like, live-in tutor? Yeah. Live-in nanny, one thing. But right. You got a full-time job. Tutor? Right. Like, what? Like, max an hour a day if you're extra? I got a tutor for my son, but he has to live here. Like, <laughs> anyway. He was, he was hired as a companion too, which we'll get into. He is given a lie detector test and he passes. Michael is also questioned and said that he was at his cousin's house watching that Monty Python movie, mm -hmm. came home around 11 and then went right to sleep. Mm -hmm. He was also given lie detector tests several times. Apparently, I don't know why, but he failed them all. Okay. But he was also ultimately cleared because he had an alibi. Because he was somewhere else. Yes, he was not there and he was right. with other people. There was no DNA found. Likely it was on the handle of that club that was never found. And that's probably why they didn't leave it at the scene. Because why leave evidence? The Skakel family was cooperative and allowed police to search their home. So let's just chat about the Skakel family real quick. Okay. They have a live-in tutor. They have a live-in tutor. I mean... Greenwich is a pretty, as I stated, affluent community. So I, it's not surprising. But anyway, Michael and Tommy were two of seven children. They had six boys and one girl. Okay. 
Rush and Ann Skakel were their parents. I think his name was like Rushton or something like that. Mm-hmm. They were a wealthy family and their money came from Great Lakes Carbon, which is a apparently a successful mining company. If I'm wrong on that, I'm sorry. I didn't really like dive into what the company was because it didn't matter. They got their money. They they came from money because of this family business. Okay. And then there's one more side to this family because I think that's Russia's side. No, that's not Russia's side. That might be his wife's side. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Russia's sister, Ethel, was married to Robert Kennedy. Oh, Robert Kennedy. Robert Kennedy. Daddy, not junior, the Robert Kennedy, Mm -hmm. who is clearly the brother of JFK. So Mm -hmm. there's wealth all around this family. And I'll say this at the time, though, that the two families seem to have been estranged due to political differences because the Kennedys were Democrats and the Skakels were Republican. So you know what? It would be wild to be in a time where you disliked the Kennedys, like to be able to honestly look at them and be like, they sucked. It's like, right. My guys, <laughs> what a time. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, moving on. In 1973, prior to the murder, Anne, the boy's mother, died from brain cancer. Okay. So Rush was left to parent all of these children. I don't know how wow. many of them were left in the home. It may have just been Tommy and Michael because they clearly had seven. There was a range of ages. Um, but he's still, he's left on his own and he just couldn't handle it. It was stated that he drank a lot and was just mm. not around for them. He'd constantly be gone and he'd leave them with no supervision. Hence why he eventually hires this live-in tutor, okay. as I mentioned earlier. That makes total sense now. Yes. Who was also... A companion. Companion right. slash tutor. Well, because they're too old to have a nanny because they're like right. 15 and 17, so you can't call it that. Right. Exactly. But they need somebody uh, grown up there. Got it. Right. Yeah. Okay. So he had actually just hired him because the live-in tutor had moved into the home just hours before the murder occurred. So he was like literally brand new to this family. Well, that would suck. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rush was out of town hunting on this particular night and the boys were known to party and drink and it wasn't very clear that it was controlled by anyone, like including that. Oh, I mean, this live-in tutor is brand new, but it didn't seem like dad stopped them or anybody really stopped them from drinking. Okay. It was also stated that Michael became a functional alcoholic around 13, which was two years prior, which coincides with his mother's death. So. Wow. Yeah. I couldn't even imagine. Could you? I mean, we have almost 13-year-olds. No, that would... Could you imagine them being functional alcoholics? No. That sucks. It's scary to me. Yeah. Anyway. Somebody needs to help them. Yeah. Clearly, this family is struggling, and specifically Mm -hmm. Michael, but I'm sure Tommy is too. So people outside the family would also say that Tommy knew he was loved and Michael didn't. So there was also some inconsistencies with the love in the family. Okay. They also look into that live-in tutor. Police also look into the live-in tutor. Ken Littleton is his name. He was a 23-year-old teacher. Clearly not for very long because you're 23. You just became a teacher in the last year or so. Right. And Rush hired him to be the tutor and companion for when he wasn't around. And he had only moved in that day. 
So he was high on the list for a while because he's new to the area. No one knows much about him at all. Mm -hmm. And some would say that he had some bizarre behaviors with women, although it's not really clearly stated what those behaviors are. So also he was not accounted for for the entire night because the boys go to sleep and whatnot. And they're, he clearly he's not hanging out with them when they're with all the people. So, and then Tommy went in, did homework and then watched TV with him. Mm-hmm. And Michael wasn't home. So where was he during that nine thirty to 10 o'clock mark? We don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm. However, he does get cleared as well. Eventually in 1976 though, he's arrested for burglary while he's under the influence of alcohol and cocaine. And so after that, he is not welcome in the Skakel home anymore. And he's okay. still, honestly, on the top of some people's lists. Oh, this for, isn't solved. It is considered unsolved still. Okay. We seem to have solved it, and then we didn't solve it. <laughs> so, yeah, poor it's confusing. Martha. I know. It is very poor. Poor the whole family. Gosh, poor Dorothy, who's like 89 years old and still is, doesn't really have any justice for her daughter. So this case ultimately goes cold for about 15 years. And in the 90s, it is it starts to get talked about again and brought up. People started getting interested in it. Authors were writing books based on the story. And so it started to kind of like pick up again for investigators. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, whatever happened to Martha? Like, why didn't we ever figure this out? Mm-hmm. So at this point, Rush Skakel had stopped being cooperative with police because he's like, well, we were cooperative in the beginning and now we're not. The murder weapon came from that house. There's no denying that. No, there's not. It has Mm -hmm. to be someone in that house. And there was only four people that it could be at the time. Right. Which is why they were at the time focusing on them because they're like, well, they had the opportunity. They had uh, access to the murder weapon, all that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, he stopped being cooperative because he's like, great, we were cleared, but now we're not. So now I'm going to hire a private attorney, not a private attorney, private investigator company to do an investigation into this and let me know, like, how exposed are we? How bad is this for us? Let's figure this out. Okay. That's fair. Yes. So they provide the family with what is known as the Sutton Report, and it was supposed to be private. Nobody else was supposed to have access to it. And it was hidden away for years and years and years until someone who worked for this company ends up leaking it to a journalist. The private investigation company leaked it? Mm. Oh, that's not good. It was like, I think, uh, a younger kind of person that maybe like, I don't know, was like a gopher for them. Or, you know, like did like menial little tasks and I think had a conscience and was like, well, we can't keep this hidden somebody's got to see this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He did ask to remain anonymous, which he didn't in the end and ends up getting fired and all this stuff. But the investigators that actually like looked into some things after he gave it up, they were, or the journalists, they were like, thank you for doing what you did. And mm-hmm. it was really brave and I'm sorry that your name did come out, but you did the right thing kind mm-hmm. of thing. And he, he, he understood that. Anyway, So it's hidden for years and then it gets leaked and it's given to a former prosecutor. So this journalist ends up giving it to a former prosecutor, Furman. Do you remember Furman? Wasn't it the OJ Simpson trial that he was involved in? Oh, okay. I think. What, in California? I can't remember. Yes, but but he was big and they were like, you know what? If someone's going to do something, it'll be you. (laughs) I don't remember. Okay. 
Got it. Anyway, so he ends up writing a book on the case, this former prosecutor, and gets and it gets released in 1998, which gets more investigations going again because in this book, he names Michael Skakel as the murderer. He's like, no doubt about it. This is who did it. This is why I believe it. Here's the information we got from this report. Okay. So but he was watching the, Monty Python. Yeah, he wasn't. Well, I mean, maybe he was at some point, but... In this Sutton report, Michael's story changed from what he had initially told police. So he was telling his own investigators, thinking this is all going to stay on the DL, oh. the truth. There's also, though, a recording of him stating these same things, because at some point over the years, he wants to have like a biography published of his life and like how he was looked at for this murder and whatever. And okay. he talks to this... <laughs> author about the same details that he tells in the Sutton report. And so there is recording out there of him saying these same things that came out from the Sutton report. Okay. So no denying it. Got it. Okay. Yep. So he states that when he returned home from his cousins, he still says that he went, he was horny and went to throw rocks at Martha's window. Cause he thought, well, maybe she'll come out and hang out with me, which I don't know why, because I don't think there's any indication that Martha would have done that with him. I don't think there's any indication that she even made out with Tommy, except for Mm -hmm. somebody saying it. And you'll know why in a little bit. So she doesn't come to the window and he climbs the tree outside of her window, hoping to get a glimpse of her. And he doesn't, but he does say that he masturbates in that tree for a short time before climbing down and going home. Many people believe that he tells this story so that he's giving a plausible reason as to why he would his DNA might be somewhere on that tree or uh-huh. near that tree or in that area. So, oh, anyway. Also, little fun fact here: that tree was not outside Martha's window. It was outside her brother's window, and it was the tree she was found under. So. He must mm. have known it wasn't the window. He was just giving a reason that right. why he, okay. he would have that, been there. Right, 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 right. Okay. okay. So at some point, Martha's diary comes into play. And she has written a few times about how Tommy's always making advances to her, but she's not interested. Hence why I don't think she was actually making out with him. But okay. you never know. I guess you could have a lapse in judgment one time and do it. Well, or she could have been in the car with him and he could have been making advances at her that were unwanted and it looked like something else that's true that is true although i think that what people said was that they were seen near their backyard like i think by their pool and that they were like kind of both like fell over onto the grass while oh. they were making out okay so i but it could be a made-up story it could be like i said lapse in judgment she did it one time and she's like ah whatever it's mischief night let me do this i don't know right 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 So just a month before the murder, she writes about how Michael was really, another time they were hanging out, out of it and how much of an ass that he is being. Mm -hmm. And then she writes, quote, I really need to stop going over to their house. Mm -hmm. So something's like off about these two in general. And she's like, "Mm." him in particular. Yes. Yeah. And, And, you know, and I'm sure she probably isn't overly comfortable if Tommy always makes advances at her too, but- Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, they're they're your neighbors. They're your friends. You're like, I shouldn't hang out, but I got to want something to do. So let me go over and hang out. So it's true. Yeah. Yeah. 
So because this book came out, police, like I said, start investigating. And um, after the murder, things kind of fell apart for Michael. So they start looking into like, okay, now this went cold for how long? So what happened right after the murder? Okay. And he was so he, 15 at the time, right? He was 15. Okay. Yes. Same Which, as Martha. And he was Yes. Tommy mm-hmm. was 17. And it was also stated a lot that he was like kind of small, like not much bigger than, you know, an eight year old or something. And like, he, I don't really know. He was small. So they kept also saying, people kept saying he couldn't have done it because he wasn't very big, but size has nothing to do with anything. When you are angry and determined to do something, you can do things. Okay. So anyway, after the murder, things kind of fell apart and he started to drink more and more and he would get in trouble. He actually had a drunk driving incident. And in order to avoid real legal trouble, his dad sent him to a rehab school in Maine called the Elon School, mm-hmm. which is a pretty controversial school. If you look them up, they used to abuse and humiliate or they used abuse and humiliation as tactics to rehabilitate different behaviors. So they'd basically, you know, like talk about like there's recordings out there that it's like break them down to build them up. Mm -hmm. Mm, Yes. Like the military. huh? Yeah. And there's also like reports that kids ran away from there all the time. Abuse was common. One student died and apparently thought was to be an accident. But then later they were trying to investigate because they were like, well, maybe it wasn't an accident. Something Mm -hmm. happened. Anyways. It did eventually close in 2011, but there's a lot of stuff that happened at that school. Man, maybe we should look into that. I know. We need to write something. Yeah. Seriously. I went on that um, Wikipedia and I was like, man, there's a whole lot of stuff here that I could dive into. So anyway, Michael attends this school and a classmate of his at the time there, Greg Coleman, comes forward and states that while at the school, Michael confessed to him that he had made advances toward Martha, she rejected him, and that he drove her skull with a golf club. Oh my God. Ugh. It later comes out that when he testified to this in front of the grand jury, he was high on heroin and it was something the that- The person that he told it to. Oh God. Yes. Um, cause it was something he needed to like calm down in order to be able to do what he needed to do. Okay. So he also had a recorded testimony that he was not high for. And Michael's lawyers did cross examine him during that recording. So they had that, that they okay. were like, well, we don't have, you're not high during this <laughs> and people were able to talk to you. So they had that to use. There is a second student from this class that also comes forward saying Michael confessed to him about the murder and saying that Michael said, I'm going to get away with murder because I'm a Kennedy, which he's really not a Kennedy. No, but you know, I'd be name dropping that too. (laughs) Well, yeah, probably. That's true. (laughs) Some discredit this student's testimony because it said that he was nothing but a troublemaker in school and nobody liked him because he was Mm -hmm. always just trying to get everyone in trouble. And so it is thought that he's just doing much of the same now later on in life is so trying to, and he wants his like 15 minutes of fame because then he could be tied to this high profile case and whatever. So there's some question about his testimony. Well, okay. But either way, because they have this in 2000, so we're now how many years? 25 years later. Yeah. They arrest Michael Skakel for the murder of Martha. They did? They did. Two years later in 2002, he had his trial. 
However, Greg Coleman, that initial former classmate that came forward that was on drugs for Mm -hmm. the grand jury, he had died of a heroin overdose. So that video testimony, they used the video testimony that he gave. Mm-hmm. Because apparently in Connecticut, if you have a recorded testimony and the defense cross-examines you thoroughly, it is mm-hmm. admissible in court. I mean, and, it makes sense if both attorneys have a chance to speak to the person. Like, it's the right. same as a testimony. So, yeah. Exactly. And the judge in this case ruled that totally admissible that there, there was. Everyone had a fair shot at talking to him. Okay. So, also, those recordings with the author for the biography were used in this trial, too. Because of the things he stated. Michaels. Michaels, yes. Okay. Michael is convicted of the murder and given 20 years to life in prison. Okay. His lawyers spend 11... We are so not even close to being done, though. Okay. His lawyers spend 11 years filing appeals. And in 2013, the conviction is overturned and he is set free. Why? He had gotten a new lawyer at that time, and they argued ineffective counsel, stating that he, the, his initial lawyer never supplied a non-family witness because family, you know, oh, yeah, he was at my house. He was at my house. But apparently there was somebody that was not part of the family that was saying, no, he was there. Like, I know it. Okay. And he had not brought this witness to the trial. And... He also failed to cross-examine all the Elan school witnesses, like the other guy that came forward that was kind of iffy on that, and you know, whether he was telling the truth or not, but he didn't cross-examine. Okay. In interviews, this lawyer states that he is not upset that he was thrown under the bus and this motion was filed against him because he was like, ultimately, my client got off and that's the goal. So they did what they had to do. Because he's innocent and they need to huh. off. Seems Ooh, like that makes me think he did that stuff on purpose. I know. That's corrupt. I know. I know. In 2016, it was brought to the state Supreme Court and prosecutors successfully convinced the court that the attorney had been adequate and the conviction was then reinstated. Okay. In 2018, the courts reversed that decision again. Okay. <laughs> In 2019, the U.S. Supreme Court refuses to hear the case, and in 2020, Connecticut courts announced that they will not be seeking to retry Michael due to lack of evidence, so the case has just been is considered unsolved. No way. So, okay, here's um, where we get into some Kennedy stuff, too. Okay, so that was 2020. They're like, we're not retiring, retrying him because we don't have anything more than we had before. And so this is just going to keep going back and forth. Like we just can't do it. He did spend what, 11 years in jail. Mm -hmm. Well, then he'd go back when it was reinstated and then he'd come back out again. So several years in 2016, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Gets involved and he writes a book about this case called framed, which offers an alternative theory to what happened that night. Oh my gosh. Am I going to have to read this book? Which I didn't read any of the books because I was like, the first one, Furman's account, I I thought, oh, I probably should read that one because he's got some information on that Sutton report and whatever. And then this came out and I was like, well, clearly this is also biased because he's a family member. Like, right. But it would be interesting to read them both. I did not have time to do that. Right. (laughs) I didn't do it, but they, it would be interesting, I think. 
So he fully believes that Michael is innocent. And in this book, it's brought up that a private investigator who was hired in 2003 has the recorded another recorded interview of somebody named Tony Bryant, who is Kobe Bryant's cousin. Oh, my Okay. What's Tony this, is like, this is like so insane, all the different things that happened. It is. He was a former classmate of Michael's before he moved to the Bronx. So he clearly lived in Connecticut somewhere, went to the same school as Michael, then moves to the Bronx. After he moves, he makes frequent trips back to Greenwich to visit Michael. And he would bring a couple of friends, Adolph Hasbrook and Bert Tinsley. Adolph? That's unfortunate. I know. It is. I can't remember like what his full name was. Hmm. They called him Al. I bet. Anyway, he said that he had told his mom all about what was in this recorded interview, but she had advised him not to tell anyone at the time because he would likely get arrested and charged with this murder if he did, because he's an African-American man and he'd probably get in trouble. Well, that makes sense. Yes. So he kept this to himself, but he says in this recorded interview, there were always golf clubs all around the house, inside, outside, like you could trip over them in the yard. Like there, I, Rush was a mess when his mom, when his wife died. And so I just think it was just like free for all, all the time. And he was like, everyone was always over there grabbing golf clubs, hitting balls in the yard. So what he is saying is a lot of people had access to these golf clubs. Okay. Michael and Tommy are not the only ones that had access to these golf clubs. Okay. So that kind of adds a little bit of a wrench because you hear golf clubs and you think they're like in a golf bag in the garage or right you know like a closet somewhere like you have to know where they are to get them yeah what he's stating is no they were either like on the porch or in the yard or whatever people were always grabbing them so okay many people had access to them he stated he actually stated that he was carrying one of the golf clubs around that night basically putting a murder weapon in his hands so why would he do that at this point, why would he admit to holding it? Okay. So he must have maybe something credible to say is what we're thinking. Okay. He said that his friends, Adolf and Bert, had made statements about them going caveman style on Martha. So apparently, I guess Adolf had somewhat of a uh, liking to Martha and wanted to make advances, but didn't think he was going to get it. And so at some point he was like, I'm just going to go for it and I don't care. Like how I get it, according to Tony. Yeah. They were going to have their way with her one way or the other. So Tony ends up leaving them that night and goes home. And then when he saw them the following Monday, he says, all they said to him was, I got mine. I went caveman on someone. So he believes. So he left them at Michael's house? He left them in the neighborhood. So, yeah, so maybe at Michael's house at some point. He said they were walking around. He was holding this golf club. It was mischief night. There was a ton of people around. Where were they planning to sleep that night? Like, who were they going to be staying the night with? It's possible they were all planning on going home at some point. Oh, Back to the Bronx, I I guess. Okay, so they had a way back. I Okay. Yeah, I mean, trains, all that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, there was a way for them to go back. So he leaves, but when he sees them, he says, I've got mine. I went caveman on someone so he believes his two friends committed the murder and it's also brought up at this time i think in the book that there were two hairs that this was the first time i even heard of it that were recovered off of the police blanket that was used to cover martha's body Mm -hmm. and one was determined to be an 
African-American hair, and the other was from Asian descent. And the two ethnicity, those were the two ethnicities of Adolf and Bert. However, this evidence has since been lost or destroyed. So nothing was ever mentioned anywhere else until I heard this like interview with Robert F. Kennedy. And I'm like, wait, what, what hairs? Like, and it was just on the police blanket. So it must have like came off of her, I guess, Uh when they covered her. So anyway, lost or destroyed. So they have no, none of this anyways. So that same private investigator goes and finds Adolf, questions him, and he asked him the same question a few times, which is, what time did you go home that night? Mm-hmm. Adolf ends up answering three different ways each time he asked him. Okay. Once he stated, I was home by eight. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Then another time he said, I'm home by midnight. Probably makes a little bit more sense. Okay. Also, at that point, the second time, agreed to take a polygraph. So then a few days later, the private investigator calls him to schedule the polygraph. And all of a sudden, Adolf's like, nope, I'm not taking it. And I just checked my books. I'm saying that in quotes. And it appears that I was not there that night at all. So... Yeah, all of a sudden... Keeping records of your activity when you were 15? Right, right. Like... You, what books are you checking <laughs> that says you weren't there? Anyway. Okay. No. Sorry, so, Al. I know. I was a little suspect of Al. Yeah. So then Tony, he's asked to testify because they want to try and get Michael off. Because all of this is also coming out while he's still in jail. But he refuses. And then all of a sudden says he doesn't know what happened that night. And the recording that he made was just an interview with a private investigator. It wasn't made mm-hmm. under oath. So it wasn't admissible for any mm-hmm. reason. But, and it's true also, he doesn't know what happened. Right. Because he wasn't there. And right. From what he stated, he had left. It happened while he left. And I don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. But now he's like refusing to talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it is also stated that he had been arrested and convicted of armed robbery and, robbery and tax fraud. So now the question comes up, is Tony credible at all? Mm. I think he is. I think he is too, because if you watch the video, I mean, I didn't watch the whole video, but I, there's, so there's a three-part um, like docu-series on Oxygen that I watched and parts of that video. And he's just kind of like, cool cop, like, this is what happened. Like, yeah. here you go. Like, there's I'm no nervousness. There's, yeah. Like, he has not no play in the game, except like, here you go. This is what I think happened because this is what happened that night as far as mm-hmm. I can, I'm concerned. So, But the thing anyway. is... It does make me wonder if these two other boys, Adolf and I can't remember the other guy's name. Bert. Bert were involved. Maybe Michael could have been too. And that's why he also was trying to cover his tracks because of the DNA in the tree and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is very, very plausible. You don't really know how plausible you are yet because I haven't gotten certain things. Oh my gosh. Okay. So police, oh, however... Don't talk to either man. I mean, they try to. They apparently subpoena them, but they plead the fifth, which means that no one can question them about this case ever again, according to Adolf's lawyer. I didn't know that was the case, but this is what this lawyer is stating in this docuseries. Okay. He states that they did not plead that the fifth because they are guilty. It was because they wanted to exercise their right to just be left alone about this case. But that just seems like crappy. Like, oh, I plead the fifth. You can't talk to me anymore. Just say no. I wasn't involved. Have yeah. a great day. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. 
This also comes out in this book that apparently a neighbor named Sheila, whose house butts up to the Moxley property, called the police because that night she had heard someone in her garage and police never followed up with her. And Robert Kennedy believes that this was a miscarriage of justice because what if there were fingerprints in her garage? What if it was the murderer? What if the, I don't you know, know, he was hiding the handle near her house? Like, I don't know. It is also interesting that she was so brutally murdered and no one heard her yell or scream or you would think that that would be a scene. Right. Especially because now in my head, I'm like, there's three boys attacking her Mm -hmm. with a golf club. Unless she was like rendered unconscious first blow, then that would change things. Well, no, I don't think so because what they believe is she was hit and then ran some because there was like blood spots initially and then further down the driveway, there was the pool. So it seemed that she she was screaming. Right. Or like help, you know, like as she's running something. And her mom's like sitting right by a window, although she fell asleep. I don't know. There's so many questions about this, but Mm -hmm. they never follow up with this lady. So they were like, well, maybe something could have been found in this woman's garage or somewhere near her house. And they Mm -hmm. never did. But I will say Martha's family doesn't say they, they say that the Greenwich police made mistakes, but they were like, they weren't used to a homicide investigation. They never had to deal with anything like this before in their lives. So they did what they could and what they did do, they praised them for. So call for help though. You yeah. know, there's plenty of know, law enforcement nearby that can yeah. help you if you right. don't know what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. Okay. So I mentioned that three-part series on oxygen that I watched. So a former po- prosecutor in this takes a deep dive into all of the theories and kind of goes through them all during this thing. So here's what she, here's what she brings up. This was done in 2019, so just a few years ago. She talked about Ken Littleton and that how he's still a strong suspect to some people. Tudor. Yes, the tutor. He went on to get married in 1983 and divorced in 1990. The prosecutor tracked down this wife, Mary, and she said that he was a little bit strange and their marriage was strained and didn't last because he had substance abuse issues. And after the divorce, he got drunk and called and left a message saying he was going to kill her. So, of course, this is brought up and, like, totally blown up. But because clearly that makes, oh, well, if he's capable of murdering someone and he said he was going to, then maybe he murdered Martha. But she does state, even after saying that, she does not believe that he had anything to do with it. Like, she's like, he was drunk when he said it. It was stupid comment. He had his issues. But do I think he could have murdered someone and then hid it from me? Mm-hmm. For like our entire relationship? No, mm-hmm. I don't think he could have. Okay. And so there's also people who believe he's just this like another innocent victim. Like he got caught up in it and then his life just kind of went to shit after that. Sorry. <laughs> because. Well, yeah. You know, he's tied to this murder investigation forever. Right. Martha's brother also goes to speak to Ken years later and said that Ken broke down a couple times during their talk when they were talking about the murder And he said, based on like how he was talking to him, that he believed Ken had nothing to do with the murder as well. So I'm kind of like, uh, I think that's probably a dead end, but there's somebody on that documentary docu-series that is like, he is number one on my list still. So anyway, moving on to Adolf and Bert. Adolf's attorney stated that Adolf had never even met Martha before, which I feel like is probably not true, but really can't prove either way, I don't think. 
Okay. He, except from people he saying. He doesn't have to yes, meet he her. Did. He doesn't have to no. meet her. He could have no, just seen didn't. her and it could have been a crime of opportunity. Right. But from what Tony was saying, he had come with him several times and had like an infatuation with Martha. Okay. Because what's Tony stating? So he also stated the this fact that it was known there was a larger police presence in the area because it was mischief night. And there's also a gate that you have to go through at the beginning of this neighborhood that has a guard. And he thought it would be, was interesting that no one else came forward saying they saw Adolf, Tony, or Bert in that area that night. Three, yes, teenagers, but they were larger. So they look like men that are not from there, mm-hmm. two of which are men of color. He's like, and they weren't noticed and no one else said we saw these strange guys walking around. Hmm. So he's like a like, predominantly white yes. neighborhood. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. So he kind of throws that out there, which is an interesting theory, mm-hmm. but still plausible. I feel like. Yeah. They <laughs> could have been, been there. Yeah. Okay. So on this diving series, a voice analyst listens to the tapes from the biography interviews for that book that was going to be written for Michael. And in the very beginning of it, he talks about how Michael talks about that night. And in his description, he tends to use lots of sensory type statements like, this is what I heard. This is how I was feeling. And according to the analyst, those types of statements tend to mean that they are coming from a memory that Mm -hmm. you're having. Makes sense. Yes, it does. Later in the recording, he talks about coming home and going into the tree and he's saying a lot of, I remember this and I remember that and I remember this happening. Whereas he wasn't saying that. He was just like, oh yeah, we went over to whatever. We were listening to this music and I remember listening to this song and thinking, yay, whatever. You know, Uh now it's, oh, I remember this happening. I remember this happening, which is less sensory filled. Okay. He also talks about getting out of the tree and walking home. And when he said he was walking towards their driveway... He said, something told me not to walk in the dark, even though it was the direct route home. And he said that kind of statement tends to not be from memory. There's no sense connected to it. He probably, if it really had happened in this analyst's opinion, he would have said something like, I heard voices or a noise that scared me. And so I decided Mm -hmm. not to walk in that direction. Mm -hmm. So in his opinion, he's making this part of the night up. He said that he did not tell police the truth because if he had told anybody he was out that night, he would have been suspected of this crime. And there was no concern about the fact that his 15-year-old friend, and he's 15 at the time, was murdered. So the fact that he's showing no concern about it. Yeah, not even talked about that yet. Hello. Yeah. So this analyst is like, pretty sure he's going Michael Skakel is Hmm. the perpetrator of this crime. So- In this docuseries, they bring up that it's always been stated that Martha was hit so hard that it broke the club, Mm -hmm. which doesn't that seem pretty excessive to you? Like, held a golf club? (laughs) I mean, like mini golf. No, I've held a golf club. Um, And it it was a six iron? Six iron. You said, okay, and I don't know what that means. but um, Well, it's one of those ones that like is like a little curved and flatter. Is it for like putting? No, it's like, for, it just means that it's going to go a different distance. Like that's what the numbers are. Like okay. it's either shorter or longer. So I personally do not think that even if I tried, could not break a um, golf club. Like if mm-hmm. I tried to step on it and bend it, I mm-hmm. think it would just bend. Mm-hmm. 
maybe just a little, mm-hmm. but I don't know. You you are more inform informative about I do, about and books. it's you you like nail things right on the head. Like the the fact that you just brought that up, step on it and mm-hmm. bend it. Okay, so this prosecutor that is doing this docu series, it's a woman. She took the same type of club, like the same brand, the same six iron, whatever, and tried to recreate breaking it. Not on someone. She Uh whacked it on concrete really hard several times and it never broke. She's like, I'm hitting this hard. She broke the concrete, but never broke the, or like marked up the concrete, but never broke the actual um, club. And they're like, how would hitting somebody in the head break it? Uh So then she took it and stepped on it and it mm-hmm. easily snapped. Like she barely had to put pressure on it and it snapped. Oh, okay. Bent it snapped. And that revealed a really sharp edge huh. to the thing. Who knew? So she is now of the belief that someone purposefully broke it off to finish Martha off. Uh-huh. Like they were like, I need to bend this and break it and because they knew they could do that. Uh-huh. So it wasn't broken accidentally by beating her. And then they stabbed her. They hit her. And then they were like, I need a sharp thing. Let me break it. Oh, gosh, that's awful. I know. Okay. So Dorothy Moxley, going back to something else you said earlier, also tells this same prosecutor lady that she remembers hearing several voices that night when she sat by that window, not just two. And so... Initially, it was like, well, maybe Michael approached Martha, confronted her about making out with Tommy and saying he was upset. And she was like, none of your business. Go away, Michael. And then he like got really angry and attacked her. She, Dorothy, feels like there was more than just two people there. So hearing that, was it Michael and Adolph and Bert? Was it Adolph and Bert? Was it Michael and Tommy helped him cover it up? Although he passed the lie detector test, but maybe he's just psychotic and he can. We're never going to know. Or also, did she hear several voices because it was mischief night and there was kids everywhere. All Mm. over the place causing mischief and you just heard a group of kids talking. But, you know, I can totally see like them all hanging out, right? The friends Mm -hmm. are in town. Michael's hanging out with her. Or she's hanging out with him and some something happens and it gets out of hand and there's advances made and she's like, you know what? I'm out. I'm going home. And they're like, yeah. oh, hell no, you're not. And they follow right. her out of the house, pick up a golf club as they're walking through the yard or off mm-hmm. the porch or whatever. And that's how it happened. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. You know what I'm saying? Like something right. escalated. Yeah. And it was these group of boys or even two boys together or even one. Right. And they she was followed into her yard and like rejecting them or whatever or like who knows. Right. Yeah. I well we're actually she had her right? pants pulled down too, and we're not talking about that either, and I don't like it. Well, but they said there was no evidence of sexual assault. I know, but that's weird. It is weird. Like maybe they were trying to sexually assault her and she left and was trying to run away and they chased her. Yeah, that's true. I know. There's so many unanswered questions on this and we are probably never going to know. Poor Dorothy is never going to know. Her brother is never going to know. Um, Her dad died in like 1988, clearly not knowing. Never knowing, yeah. And this whole 
picture of like, he's in jail. He's not in jail. He's guilty. He's not guilty. Mm -hmm. And then you got Robert Kennedy kind of vouching for him, blaming other people. Right. Dorothy 100% believes that Michael had something to do with it. She does. She believes that. Mm -hmm. She believes that. She doesn't necessarily think that he's the sole person or what? She doesn't. She thinks somebody else helped him. Huh. Because he's 15 and. Yeah. Little. Somebody else would have been there. So. Well, that's terrible. It was. It's terrible. It's a terrible case. But I will just as a little last side note. As of 2023, April 2023, Michael has filed a lawsuit against the town of Greenwich because he wants those recordings that were used against him of himself for that book back. And he states that they're all his property. He wants them back. But no one even knows if they exist anymore where they are. Well, from the articles that I read. Um, And he's kind of stayed out of the spotlight. and No one even knows where he's residing now. But hmm. this is still unsolved. And it's almost though, 50 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was 1975. Yep. Wow. Whew, what a case, girl. I tell you what. I know. We went a lot of places today. I know. We did. <laughs> we met a lot of people. <laughs> we met a lot of people. I tell you, that, that's really something. I, I'm really shocked that it's not like I haven't heard. I, I've heard of it. But not to the extent. Like, I literally had no idea. I was like, oh, wait, I know. I remember, like, hearing about this girl that got killed. But then, like, what? (laughs) It kept getting brought up year after year after year after year. Well, yeah. I did not know one daggone thing. I've never heard of this case. Nope. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Huh. Well, thanks for the deep dive. It's a long episode today. Happy Monday. I know. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's good because, you know, we're on a break. It's July. And so we're right. not doing like every day or every Monday episodes. And so to have a little bit longer of one is really nice. Right. And I tell you, that's got my head spinning. And I'd really like to know what everyone has to say about that. For sure. For sure. I think Michael did it. You do. But himself. I am suspect of Adolf and Bert. Only because like all of a sudden like they were helpful but then they were, their stories were changing and now they're like, no, mm-hmm. not talking. And so. there's no coincidences in murder. Mm-mm. We say it all the time. Right. And their connection is coincidental. Right. And who who's to say like Adolf and Bert and Michael weren't sitting around like powwow and about their like obsession with Martha and they were like, well, let's do it. You know? Right. Well, I don't know. Yeah, that's sad. That's a really sad case Um, and frustrating and Mm -hmm. intricate. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So thank you so much for that. That is, that's what we do. That's a Monday. Mm -hmm. It's a wrap. Um, So next week we'll be on a break. Um, We'll be back the week after that with a case and the week after that. So we're just taking Mm -hmm. a couple weeks off. We're not recording in July. We're super excited about that Um, because we're on vacation. We hope you guys are having a great summer and that you're able to get your lounge on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so come follow us on social media because we do stay active on there no matter what. And um, we post these fun curiosity questions from the closet where we get to know you guys a little bit better, like where you're from, what you do for a living, um, just like fun things like that. So come and find us over there and I'll be sure to post some hopefully. Mm -hmm. We have a Patreon. If you guys can't stand the break and you need a fix, um, there's some episodes over there. We have quite a few actually episodes. If you're a new member, you can binge way back, way back to over a year ago. I was going to say, I don't even remember when we started. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a while. So we have a lot of fun over there. It's a different vibe. 
Um, we appreciate you so much. We love you. We love that you let us join you for these fun days and that you're able to be a part of our closet. And always remember the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closet.